Do we own the rights? Do I own the rights? What, what's, what's the legal... I need a lawyer. What do you fucking want? Just tell me what you fucking want. <laughs> Welcome back to the Cold War, episode 129, Korean War, part three. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our last episode, we were talking about uh, Kim Il-sung's rise to power and how he was a real, real soldier. Right. He was a, a real revolutionary. Right. Boots on the ground. Gun in hand. His first wife. Yeah. Sorry. First wife was uh, captured by the Japanese and used as a bargaining chip and then executed. <clears throat> and how the guy who was really running North Korea uh, in the late 40s was the Soviet General Shtaikov. Now, um, Shtaikov, in May of 1949, Shtaikov supported the creation under the auspices of Kim Il-sung and Bak Hyun-yong, another uh, North Korean politician, mm. the, the creation of the Democratic Front for the Reunification of the Fatherland. <laughs> nice title. So this, yeah, it does, right? So, it, so this is about uh, building the propaganda campaign for why the, it was time ah, for the North right. and the South to be reunified. And as I was pointing out at the end of the last episode, it's, it's absolutely vital when you're thinking about the Korean War, I think, to realise that the North didn't invade the South. There was no North and South. These were fake countries. There was fake news. Uh, There was really only one country in the minds of most Koreans, including both Syngman Rhee and Kim Il-sung. It was just one country. It had been artificially divided by the Americans and the Soviets at the end of World War II. They had agreed that they would unify them within sort of five, four to five years. It wasn't happening. And so the Koreans were like, well, it's time to take matters in our own hands. We're going to unify this. Right. But I think the point that you were making when you first started was that, yes, we're, go- we're going to come down there. We're going to take the rest of the country. But anything we can do to help prepare, you know, lay groundwork so this is more accepting to those who in who are in the southern part of the country that might not normally accept this. I, I think I think there's that 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 pre-propaganda stage and then you come with the military. So is is that what part of that organization was about was to to lay the foundations for when they came south? Yes, I believe so. Okay. It was it was uh, sort of a popular front. It was led by the Workers' Party mm. of Korea. Um, it was sort of designed to get the you know the the people talking about it, thinking about it, demanding it. Uh, still around today, by the way, uh, it has a total of twenty four members. Um, still, they have lovely it's barbecues. More or less uh, listeners than we have. Once a month. so it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if they have a podcast. Maybe we should merge them. Oh, we can we'll double, double our <laughs> size. 48, 48. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's. I mean, okay, so a good analogy is um, when the Koch brothers uh, in the United States are trying to push through, push legislation through Congress that uh, prevents uh, 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 any interference with pollution mm-hmm. 
and climate change, they start sort of a fake, we call it a grassroots campaign, like a fake right. grassroots organisation. Yeah. It's the people. Yeah. The people are demanding this. We're just, you the know, silhouette. giving the yeah. people what they want. Yeah. It's the people. Um, so there you go. I think that's what the DFRK, the DIFROC was. <laughs> oh, the DIFROF, Democratic Front for the Reunification of the Fatherland. Now, Steikhoff apparently, even in 1949, believed that Sigmund Rhee would attack the North uh, in the early part of 1950. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was probably right. As you said um, at the end of the last episode, uh, Sigmund Rhee, uh, even the Americans thought Sigmund Rhee wanted to invade the North. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's important again to understand that this wasn't a one way thing. Um, both sides wanted to invade the other side. It was just a question of who was going to strike first. Right. Um, now, uh, Steikov supported the Democratic Front for the re- Reunification or the Dufruf. Um, <laughs> To slow down southern aggression, cultivate alliances with anti-reforces in the south, and make the Americans appear opposed to north-south unification. Ah, that's pretty smart. It's a long game, but that's pretty smart. Well, I don't know about it's a long game, but if they're trying to create people's organizations in the south as well as in the north. Mm-hmm. That are going. Well, listen, uh, you know, let's let's think about this. Let's we, we shouldn't attack. Um, we should and, and try and you know uh, increase political upset towards Re, which worked as we'll see when in in his uh, upcoming elections. Right now, after the Chinese Civil War was concluded uh, towards the end of nineteen forty nine, when Mao Zedong finally won and Chiang Kai Shek got the fuck out of Dodge, <laughs> went to Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Which is a whole other um, story we we haven't gone into yet, but we will obviously have to do that. Right. Um, Kim was pers- was was persistently lobbying the Soviets to support a northern led unification of the peninsula. Mm-hmm. Um, but Stalin uh, kept saying no. <laughs> Stalin. Stalin says no. Yet. Why do you think Stalin would have said yet, Ray? Um, I mean, what's to be gained and what could possibly be happening? I mean, your risks versus your rewards. There, there are still 500 American troops in South Korea. I mean, is it is it worth pissing off the Americans or the allies or the British, whatever you want to call them, um, just for that, for that piece of land. I mean, he's got stuff going on in Poland. He's got stuff going on in Eastern Europe. Um, I don't know. Germany, Germany, Berlin. Thank you very much. I seriously doubt it's, he considered it worth the risk. It was important to Kim, obviously, but to Stalin, he's got much bigger fish to fish to fry. And he's always probably like, if I can appease the Americans in Korea, Maybe they'll suspect me less in Europe, but that's my guess. Yeah, I, I, look, I don't think Stalin wanted a war. Yeah. Uh, he couldn't afford a war. Yeah. He's still trying to rebuild um, after the last one, and yeah, you know, obviously, relationship with the US was touchy. Yes, uh, him and Truman, and in 1949, he didn't have a bomb. <laughs> 
So Americans had a bomb. They were prepared to use it. They kept threatening to use it. He didn't have one. So uh, he had to play his cards carefully. And and listen, really, to, to get a railway through Manchuria uh, down to Dalian, he, he might need to go through North Korea, the south. Yeah. Not really yeah. important. Sticks out in the ocean. Yeah. Um, maybe yeah, maybe you could throw some ports in there at some stage, but really, he, he's got what he wants. Exactly. Mission accomplished. Unless, Uh-oh. unless the South invades the North, then he loses. Uh, then, then all of a sudden, this whole thing becomes important. Right. But until that looks like a reality, right. better just to keep what we got. We only want the North. The North is the, the key part of it for us. This is where our railway lines are going to run. Um, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll get there. No hurry, right. Kim. Slow the fuck. Slow your <laughs> you, fucking roll, Kim. You're in your early to saying. mid thirties. Calm the fuck down. Which is probably why when the Soviets leave in night in nineteen forty eight, that they leave Kim with tanks, artillery, anti tank guns, planes, and whatnot, so that he can defend the North in case Re gets a wild idea up his ass and decides to advance north. Steikov and Kim both were lobbying Stalin during this period to give the green light for uh, an invasion Mm -hmm. or a unification. Uh, They said it would be a blitzkrieg at almost no cost. It would all be over, mission accomplished uh, in a matter of weeks. uh, Steikov predicted that the Americans wouldn't get involved. They didn't really care that much about Mm -hmm. South Korea. Um, And so... Yeah. It'd be easy. Yeah. Easy peasy Japanesey. <laughs> now, like, really? I'm not sure that's, that's too soon. really appropriate too soon. in this joke. <laughs> <this time. laughs> too soon. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Um, so, but Stalin kept saying no. Yeah. Meanwhile, down in the south. <laughs> yeah. Right. Hold on. I'm from Charleston, <laughs> South Carolina. Down in the <laughs> south. <laughs> uh, in 1945, right. despite claims of wanting to allow Koreans freedom, the Americans were playing favourites. Yeah. Now, the reality was that in the countryside, the KPR, the Korean People's Republic, led by Yo On Hong, right. who we talked about, uh, I think, in our last episode. Yo, he was sort of the leftist uh, guy that the Americans <laughs> yeah. offered a spot on their quote-unquote advisory council. He told them to go <laughs> fuck themselves. It was very well organised and very popular. Yes. Um, according to John Hodge, it was organised into a government at all levels. Mm. Meanwhile, their alternative, the KDP, the Korea Democratic Party, which was headed by the conservative nationalist Song Jin-woo, was, according to John Hodge, poorly organised and unorganised in most places. And not only that, I think you said this on the last episode, some of the people on the council, including the chairman, were actually, had actually worked for the Japanese government in Korea and supported the Japanese war effort during World War II. So so not only is the uh, KDP poorly organised, it is unpopular. The people, you know, if they could catch them on the streets, beat the shit out of them. And these are the people that the Americans are relying upon 
to help them administer the country. Not a not a good recipe. <laughs> so, like yeah, the KPR, uh, Yo Un Hung's uh, group was sort of like Ho Chi Minh's group in Vietnam. Right, they were out rolling up their sleeves, yeah. helping the poor, getting shit done, etc., etc., exactly. making life better. Very popular. So, um, of course, John Hodge, the American military governor of South Korea, because he believed in freedom. <laughs> he was a freedom did, Yeah. 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 Like, like, like all great <laughs> Americans, believed in freedom and as a consequence decided that, um, that in order for there to be freedom right. in South Korea, freedom of the, for the KDP to take over from the KPR... He must destroy the KPR at all costs. That sounds right. Because they were too popular. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, they, like, it's like this. They had a monopoly on popularity. Right. And the KDP was this scrappy little startup. <laughs> and he was like, well, my scrappy little startup that I have shares yeah. in isn't going to you know, fulfill its ambitions if the KPR is popular. I got to do something. So I got to do something. I got to crush, yeah. crush the KPR so the KDP can have freedom. It's freedom <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> yeah. So they, I think they, what they close down their newspapers, they harass them. They, uh, they, they uh, accuse them of horrible crimes and they bring them up on charges, hoping that the KDP will get its act together and, and one day will be as organized as the KPR. Um, it's not really working out that way, but Hodge is doing everything he can. And let's be honest, if Korea had a bunch of civil rights laws, he's probably breaking every single one of them. Well, it's, you know, just uh, American military governors, man. But, like, but that's the other... You have the yeah. freedom the freedom to elect your own uh, representatives unless we don't like them. In which case, right. you have the freedom to do what we fucking tell you. Yeah, is but, but, <laughs> John Hodges. But you bring of up freedom. a good point. You have this military general who has spent I don't know how many years in the military. He is either giving orders or he's receiving orders, and now his orders are to create a civilian government, a representative civilian government. I'm guessing he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, and he basically has a hammer and sees everything as a nail. I mean, this is not the right person with the right mentality or the right background experience or training to get this kind of job done, but he's the one that's in charge. Well, as we explained in our first Korean War episode, these the Americans, and by Americans I mean predominantly Hodge and um, General MacArthur, mm-hmm. uh, wanted they they didn't speak Korean, they didn't understand Koreans, right. Korean history, Korean culture, didn't understand it, didn't want to understand it, don't have time to understand right. it. We just want to work with someone who understands us. Yeah, do what we and want. Can, can speak English, will do what we want, can take an order. Um, so, you know, they can have complete freedom to do what we fucking tell them. And that's why they chose Syngman Rhee. And, and guys like Yo and Hung were not uh, on they weren't playing taking the game. orders exactly. from Americas. So they're like, okay, got to get rid of them. Unfortunately, the head of the KDP, uh, Song Jin Woo, was killed by Baikusa, a South Korean right-wing terrorist group in late 1945, yeah. so through another little uh, spanner in the works for John Hodge. Jeez. 
But yes, in November 1945, as a warning to the Korean press, he shut down the most prominent Seoul newspaper that was sympathetic to the KPR. Mm. Um, they blamed it on accounting irregularities. <laughs> I'm sorry, um, I got I got to shut you down. Yeah, sorry. sorry. Complete Americans believe in complete freedom of the press, unless you don't <laughs> like what the press says. Then and then they shut it. We send in the accountants. Uh, also in November, on the 25th of November, Hodge um, cabled General MacArthur and said that he intended to publicly denounce the KPR. Jesus. Here's a section of his cable. This will constitute, in effect, a declaration of war upon the communistic elements in Korea and may result in temporary disorders. It will also bring charges of political discrimination in a quote-unquote, free country, both by local pinkos and by pinko press. If activities of the Korean People's Republic continue as in the past, they will greatly delay the time when Korea can be said to be ready for independence. Oh, God. Now, keep in mind that the KPR was not communist. Yeah. But, uh, you know, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story, John Hodgman. Now, in uh, in September 1945, they had issued a 27-point program, the KPR. It included the confiscation without compensation of lands held by the Japanese and collaborators, Mm. free distribution of that land to the peasants, Rent limits on the non-redistributed land, nationalisation of such major industries as mining, transportation, banking and communication, state supervision of small and mid-sized companies, guaranteed basic human rights and freedoms, including those of speech, press, assembly and faith, universal suffrage to adults over the age of 18, equality for women... Labor law reforms, including an eight-hour day, a minimum wage, and prohibition of child labor, and establishment of close relations with the United States, USSR, England, and China, and positive opposition to any foreign influences interfering with the domestic affairs of the state. So as you can see, brutal dictatorship uh, the KPR was uh, trying to bring about uh, had to be stopped at all costs, right? What would happen if ideas like a minimum wage spread to the United States and and equality for women? Yeah. What would happen? I I get it, but it, it comes down to they just weren't willing to play the games like the nationalists were who had learned from the Japanese and they learned how to take orders and they learned how to be polite and deferential and the Americans like that. But just because there was, when someone says, I'm not a nationalist, that's not really saying what they are. They're just telling you what they're not. But the Americans heard, I'm probably a communist. I probably have communist influence or I'm taking orders from Moscow, whatever, because the Americans are so heightened at this point with their fear of communism. If you're not a nationalist, it's either one or the other, and they can't trust you, and they have to break you down. That's Hodge's mentality. Oh, if I could get my hands on Putin. MAGA! MAGA! I'm baffled. I don't know what to believe. I do not know. I can't believe that. So, 
Hodge had sent this telegram to MacArthur saying, "Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna stir some shit up and shut down the KPR." MacArthur's reply was, "Use your own best judgment." <laughs> I got your back. I am not. Yeah. I am not sufficiently familiar with the local situation to advise you intelligently, but I will support whatever decision you may take in this matter. Now, say what you want about MacArthur, but he knew how to delegate. <laughs> So the Americans do get some things right. They are able to um, work on some land reform. Uh, they ease the burden of the people who are renting lands, and that's very popular. But then the Americans go a little too far with this idea of free market. So what they do is at the time um, – there's a strong rice surplus in the country. And so Hodge lifts all the restrictions, buying, selling, whatever, that kind of stuff, prices, that kind of stuff. And so the Koreans, like anybody else, or, or business people, they start hoarding their rice. The price goes through the roof. There's a scarcity of rice. People are, are, are hungry and they're starving and there's rice in the streets. And so they're going to let this stay for about a year. But the point is it doesn't work very well. And so it's just another black eye for the Americans and for Hodge. And he has to actually pull back all all the way on that. So the Americans who are not taking the time to learn the Koreans are messing up just as much as they do anything right. And it's just not a smooth process that Hodge is in charge of. The price of a bushel of rice went from 9 yen in September 1945 to 2,800 yen <laughs> a year later. Jesus. Capitalism. Cap- Capitalism. Go. go. Yeah. Jesus. Maga. 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 So the Americans know that there's a a bunch of tension in the South. They can feel it. They know they're on a powder keg. This is horrible. And what makes it worse, and I mean this in a very general way, is that it seems the Soviets to the North are either doing a better job or there's a lot less uh, starvation going on or there's a lot less uh, disturbance and riots. And so by comparison, the Americans are just not keeping up with the Soviets. And Hodge, Hodge, I think just to a certain degree, just look, I'm out of my depth. I don't know what I'm doing. It. I don't know what I'm doing. And the other guys are doing it better than I am. But here's, here's something I want to mm-hmm. drill down on. So, you know, as we said before, Americans believe in freedom of the press, unless we don't like <laughs> what you're saying, and then we'll shut you yeah. down. Americans believe in freedom to elect your own representatives, unless we don't like what they're saying. And so they, they, they shut down the KPR and they shut down labor unions, which were coming right. back after the Japs were gone. They were declared to be a focus of communist subversion. Then... They, they opened up the free market for rice. When that went badly, they shut down the free market in South Korea in February 1946 and yeah. introduced rationing. Right. They introduced tough, tough quotas yeah. for peasant farmers, which were enforced by the local police. <laughs> um, Ooh, now, heads. Yeah. So America believes in the free market, unless we don't, in, in which case we shut it down and institute Soviet-style... <laughs> Quotas How dare you, sir? And government-based rationing. And so here's my point. Like, <clears throat> when, the, when communists in the middle part of the 20th century, whether it's in um, Soviet Union or, or China or Cuba, introduce these sorts of things, mm-hmm. they shut down the, um, um, uh, uh, the media that they believe to be subversive. Right. Uh, Americans go nuts. Look at that. They don't believe in freedom of the press. When they introduce 
price quotas and they fix the price so people can afford to buy food and there's not rampant speculation, Americans go nuts. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't believe in, you know, the free market and blah, blah, blah. So when the communists do it, America goes nuts. But when the Americans do it, it's like, well. Expedient. You know, it's just, it's just common yeah. sense, right? We, 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 country's not ready. For those it's sorts not of things, us. They, they, we need it's to them. We need to go slowly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The fucking it's this kind of double standard right. that pisses people off. Double standard, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get better at finding those. Um, <clears throat> it's those sorts of double standards that America has that I think most Americans aren't aware of. That right. because that doesn't get talked about a lot. So. Americans do the same things as communists in these sorts of situations where there's, you know, the the, uh, the, the they've got a population of people that are that are poor, uneducated. There's not enough food. There's not enough infrastructure. Things have been bad for a long time. Mm-hmm. You need to have a tight control on how these things are rolled out. The Americans will do it as easy as the uh, the the Russians will do it, or the Cubans will do it, right. or the Chinese will Evil. do it. Evil, but. Uh, <laughs> but it's well, it's it's like uh, Michael Hussey. Hey, Michael, uh, he posted um, something on our Cold War Facebook page the other day. Pictures of uh, Kim Il Sung, like huge statues of Kim Il Sung in North Korea, Jeez. and was talking about how appalling it was that these huge statues of political leaders staring down on the people. And so I, I replied with a picture of Mount Rushmore, <laughs> and he said. That's, well, that's different. Those are founding so, fucking fathers. It's not. Uh, it's not a statue, a giant statue, looking down on the people. So then I replied with a uh, photo of the Lincoln Memorial <laughs> statue. Jesus and uh, how many friends do you have? No, <laughs> no. It's like it's okay when America does well, yeah. it. When America does yeah. it, that's fine. It's our founding fathers. When the Koreans do it, yeah. Oh, look at that! They're glorifying. They're glorifying a, a man. It's it's, it's uh, rampant. Yeah, <laughs> whatever you human call it. folly. Human Americans are just as human as everybody else. We just don't think of ourselves that way. And don't talk about the, this part of it. This part of it gets kind of swept under the rug. We don't like to talk about it when America does it. And if we do, if we have to, then we justify it. Right. <clears throat> well, it was just it's just practical. So we're just being practical. Well, it takes a certain amount of political maturity to do that. And with all due respect to my fellow Americans, that's not really a place that we're in right now. And I, and I mean that sincerely. Uh, we're just, we're just, we're not there. We're not there. You say you're becoming less mature over time. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. you know. I think that's how it's, it's not supposed to work that way. Well, no, it's not. But remember, FDR comes in office and he goes, you know what? Things are pretty fucked up. I am going to try a lot of different things. Some of them will work, some of them will won't, and when they won't, I'm going to admit it, close it down, and move on. That's leadership. That's political maturity. And to, to look at to, and he, you know, he was also lambasting the one percenters, the elites, the ones who actually caused the problems in the first place. That's political maturity. That's not where America is at right now, and I don't think that's where Britain is at right now. So I don't know. It takes courage. I don't know. It that's... takes courage. That's Trump's position. He's going, I'm going to say a crazy thing today, and tomorrow I'm going to say the complete right. opposite that's crazy not, thing. That's not courage. That that's, no, that's just, I don't give a fuck. I truly am <laughs> incapable of giving a fuck. I'm going to hold a baby of a parent who was killed and give the thumbs up sign. Oh. 
He's just incapable. But but we're getting off topic. So uh, in the South, things were going from bad to worse under the American administration. So bad that on the 16th of December, (laughs) 1945, six, five, six. I think it's six. I think we're in now. Six. Yeah. Yeah. Hodge, the military governor, uh, submitted a report to MacArthur, who was in Tokyo, and it eventually ended up on the desk of Truman. Uh, it was his summary of the situation in South Korea, in which he concluded, <laughs> under present conditions, with no corrective action forthcoming, I would go so far as to recommend we give serious consideration to an agreement with Russia that both the US and Russia withdraw forces from Korea simultaneously and leave Korea to its own devices and an inevitable internal upheaval for its self-purification. Now, that says to me that he's it's impossible, he's giving up, but again, he doesn't understand Korea because we now know, and if anybody had taken the time to study on the ground, know that the communists were pretty popular in the North and the South, but I think he's just saying is, look, I just can't do this. I've been trying. I've been cracking heads. I don't know what more I can do. We should both pull out and let Korea decide how to run the country. After all, that's the fuck what they want to unite and to be independent. Let's give it to them. You can have any kind of government you want, (laughs) Koreans. We want a communist one. No. Apart from that, you can have any kind of (laughs) government. Right. But and, and I know you're about to go into this, but Hodge, with this letter, he's not just saying, look, you know what? I fucked up. I'm not man enough. I can't do it. No, 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 no. He's blaming the Soviets for his problem. He's like, you know what? They've got agents down here and they're stirring up disunity and they're causing trouble for me. I just I can't get anywhere. I can't get any traction. So all the trouble that Hodge is having is not because of his own policies. It's because the communists in the north are sending down agents to stir up trouble for him. Oh, if I could get my hands on Putin. <laughs> and to a, he's right to, to a, a point. point. I mean, we they they had created this uh, grassroots organization. But again, like the way it's, uh, I think people think about this, particularly Americans, is, oh, they were causing trouble. Yeah. Yeah, but what were they doing? Really, they had people going around about, it's, they were it's basically like Christian missionaries. Right, right. Have you heard it? You know, they were knocking on doors and going, can I speak to you about uh, Marxism-Leninism and uh, what it could do for you? And people going, oh, sure, come on in. Uh, would you like some tea? Right. Yeah, that'd be lovely. That's trouble. Uh, here's, you know, uh, have you seen this book? It's called The Communist Manifesto. People really going, oh, right. So, you know, there can be a better way right. where there's a more equitable distribution of uh, capital resources. and uh, Underhanded. To each according to his needs Sneak. and from each according to his <laughs> ability. And people are like, oh, that, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Americans are like, look at that. They're causing trouble. The they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're corrupting the people. Yeah. Yeah, by teaching them that, you, you can know, have more. there could be a better yeah. way. You could live yeah. better. Um, but when Christian missionaries do it, that's like, fine. Oh, that's great. You know, love it. Love it. <laughs> On December 27th, 1945, um, the US, the UK and the USSR foreign ministers met in Moscow. This is what we've talked about, the Moscow Conference. Mm-hmm. This is where the Russians officially accepted the American proposal for Korea. Right. The, the nation was to become a four-power international trusteeship for five years, mm-hmm. uh, and then it was to be unified and independent again. Yeah. 
So this is the point I was making uh, in the last episode, I think, right. or maybe earlier this episode, I can't remember, that 1945, the Americans and the Soviets and the others agreed to five years after which the country would be unified again, yeah. which happens to be 1950. <laughs> now, <laughs> Stalin... Uh, accepted this deal in 1945, probably a trade-off. If he if he backed down on pushing for a 100% communist Korea, he thought maybe Washington wouldn't vigorously oppose some of his uh, plans in Eastern Europe as much. Yeah. Um, but when the news of the trusteeship got out in Korea... Oh, shit. ...people were furious. Because... Yeah. This whole agreement for how what was going to happen, uh, the number of Koreans at the table at the Moscow conference that were party to this. Zero? It was one, two, three, four, zero. <laughs> yes, zero <laughs> Koreans were invited to sit at the table like and talk about their own feels future. Like Munich all over yeah. again. Yeah, so there's strikes and yeah. there's demonstrations. People are pissed off and hodge. I guess you could call this the honorable thing to do, but with this this kind of drama going on, he does offer to resign his position. Because he hadn't been consulted about it either. He's running the right. South. This is above his head. Uh, he w- yeah. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't ask for his input. Um, so, yeah, he offered his resignation. It was refused. There was uh, all sorts of turmoil in South Korea when news about this got out. Right-wing factions organised strikes and demonstrations. Not communists, right-wing factions are organising all of the strikes. Um, Truman also apparently wasn't happy with this agreement, though, and blamed Jimmy Burns as Secretary of State. And Truman decides that it's time to make a stand against Stalin. Right. So now that Hodge has um, offered to resign, Truman does not accept it. You could say that Hodge has Truman's backing. And uh, Hodge is like, we, we got to move forward on this. So he wants to set up a Korean political body before the first meeting of the American-Soviet Joint Commission that's supposed to oversee or supervise the uh, trusteeship. So on February 14th, the Representative Democratic Council has its first meeting in Seoul. And uh, of the 28 members, and again, you're going to see a pattern here, of the 28 members that come to this meeting, 24 of them are the political right, the nationalists, whatever you want to call it. But it's the people that the Americans like that the local Koreans do not. And it's headed by Syngman Rhee. (laughs) So, yes, out of its 28 members, 24 were from the right. Uh, so they had, you know, token lefties. Right. Um, and this Democratic Council then set up a South Korean interim government. The idea is to hold elections and start to formalise a mm-hmm. uh, South Korean government. Now, three quarters of this interim government were former Japanese collaborationists. Only 11 of them showed any evidence of any Japanese, anti-Japanese activity during the occupation. Damn. Now, what the <laughs> fuck <laughs> is John Hodge thinking here? Well, listen, yeah. just being practical, these guys know how to keep the Koreans in check. Now, it's <laughs> same thing happened in <laughs> Vietnam, remember? Yeah. Exactly the same thing happened in Vietnam when the Americans came in they just reinstalled the, the 
No, the Japanese. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry. The Americans. Um, when they came in, they just reinstated the Japanese collaborationists right, right. to, you know, run the police they they and doing. the colonial control. Yeah. They were like, well, yeah, they know what they're doing. They know how to, you know, crack Vietnamese heads. <laughs> Here's your job back. Here's <clears throat> Don't your stick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not only did they get their job back, they got promoted oh, because the, 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 there was this thing called the National Police, brutal, the Japanese police, uh, one of the most brutal forms of Japanese tyranny during their occupation. Right. Basically, think, I don't know, brown shirts. Right. right. Um, the SS, it was the Japanese SS. Oh, they were right. just running around fucking shit up. Uh, but, but it was made up during the Japanese occupation, of part Japanese mm-hmm. and part Korean. Mm. Well, the Japanese have all been moved yeah, out now. No. So the so the Koreans that are left get promoted. <gasps> oh, fuck. And the size of the national police was doubled by the Americans. You know what we need? <laughs> we need, we need we more. Need more tyranny. More tyranny. <laughs> more headcrackers. Like, Japanese. Yeah. Japanese did got a good start. Half-ass. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's like when when my clients write uh, stuff for themselves and they send it to me, and they say, "What do you think?" And I was like, "It's a good start," <laughs> which basically is they say that's Cameron code for this is shit, right? And it needs to be reworked don't from the scratch from the beginning. Go, no, yeah. no, like there are words in there that that I the could probably and rescue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, it's a good start. So it's a good start. They, they give her promotions. They double the size of the force. And just to make sure they can do a really good job, they actually give them American equipment. Guns, Jeeps, radios. This is now an effective uh, force that can communicate and kick ass and take names. And guess whose ass they're kicking? The Koreans. Their fellow countrymen. So these Korean policemen who conducted torture for the Japanese get promoted and are now in positions of authority and became the basically the enforcement arm of the American military administration. That's how you do it, son. And and its chief source of intelligence. (laughs) So they're going, oh, yeah, no, these guys, these guys are communists. We we have to kill these guys. Oh really? Really? You say so. you think, oh yeah, you say so. yeah, 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 yeah. Because I don't know. Trust me. Oh well. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't speak <laughs> Korean. Kill him. We torture that guy. What did he say? Oh, oh he, said, he said he's taking orders directly <laughs> from Stalin. He talked to really? Stalin last Tuesday. Shit. Yeah. 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 He keeps. I am. He keeps. Yeah. <laughs> he gives Stalin a blowjob every Monday afternoon. Three Swear o'clock. Swear to God. Hand, 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 hand up. That's what he said. Guy, that's what he said. Guy, guy really said, can you please take these electrodes off my nuts? And they're like, nah, he said, uh, pretty sure I heard Stalin in there somewhere. Stalin blowjob, definitely. <coughs> yeah. Oh, God. Woo. So it's just, I mean, just a complete clusterfuck. The Americans aren't even um, trying. It's like they phoned it in. They fucking phoned it in. Anyway. Not only that, the Americans specifically refused to appoint anyone to the national police who had been imprisoned by the Japanese or a member of any anti-Japanese resistance. Because they were probably communists, maybe? Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's the only, that's the only explanation, Fuck. right? The only explanation to be a member of the anti-Japanese resistance <laughs> is you're a communist. If you're an American. Like all of the... Yeah. 
Yeah, well, like all of the Americans that fought the Japanese uh, in World War II were all communists, obviously. I knew that. I knew that. Jeez. The first chief of staff of the South Korean Army in 1947 was a former colonel in the Japanese Army. Come on. Meanwhile, yeah. hundreds of thousands of South Koreans who protested against Re and the Americans were imprisoned. Jesus. It was uh, freedom. Freedom, right? Freedom. Just freedom. Of a certain... That's all. That's how, if I have to sum this up, it's just freedom. Freedom-loving peoples. You smell that? Hey! Hey, fun, son. Nothing else in the world smells like that. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. You know, one time we had a hail bomb for 12 hours. When it was all over, I walked up. We didn't find one of them, not one stinking big body. Smell! You know, that gasoline smell! The whole hill! Smells like. Victory! Someday this war's gonna end. <laughs> Fucking man. <laughs> Oh, Robert Duvall, man, and that role is like a a minute long and it's just one of the great (laughs) scenes, just... Strolling along. Uh, I like it, like, I know you can't see, but in the middle of that speech when a bomb (laughs) explodes like three feet behind him, everyone else like jumps out of their shirts, he doesn't flinch. (laughs) Bomb goes off right behind him, doesn't flinch, just sits there. Doesn't make a difference if you... Smells like... One day, this war is going to end. With this look of disappointment on his face, like, it's, all the good times will be over, man. Oh, I just sit around in his rocking chair after that. There's a uh, new, like, um, I don't know, digital director's fucking cut of Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. It's been showing in cinemas here, and I didn't get to see it. I kept trying to go, like, come on, we got to go, we got to go, got to get babysitter, got to go. Didn't make it. Right. Didn't make it. Oh, I love that movie so much, man. Such a great fucking movie. <clears throat> I love the smell of napalm in the morning. You know that smell? The gasoline smell? <clears throat> Smells like... Fickling. <sighs> I'll have to watch it again. Anyway. Great. Okay. Yeah, that's what... Uh... That's what freedom smelled like <laughs> in South Korea. It smelled like victory, right? right? Okay. Japanese collaborators putting people in prison who protested. It was victory. Right. And, ju- and just in case you think we're exaggerating or if you need, it, if you need something to, be able to hold on to, in 1948, 53% of the officers and 25% of the rank and file were Japanese trained. And the Americans were like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, the, I mean, it's it's hard to get your head around this, but <coughs> you have to realise that the Americans are transferring power to a Korean conservative faction mm-hmm. that was being predominantly run by men who had been the willing tools of the Japanese that a world war had just been fought to destroy. Yes. 
And now they're being given control of the South. Now, meanwhile, this is, you know, I made this point in the last episode. Mm-hmm. The North is being run by men who fought against the Japanese for decades. Right. The South is being run by men who collaborated with the Japanese for decades. Yeah. I, I okay, now, <clears throat> Singman Rhee... Right. You know, f- you know, did some statesmanship about getting rid of the Americans, uh, sorry, getting rid of the Japanese while he lived in America for decades. Right. But uh, he's more than happy to use these guys as well. No, he has no issue with this. No, it's not a big deal to him. Because he, he just wants power and control. Yeah. Uh, and if these guys can help him get it, then that's good. So this is, this is the lie of the land in Korea at this juncture. Now, uh, in September of 1947, despite objections from Stalin, the United States referred the future of Korea to the United Nations. Mm -hmm. Now, Stalin made the same offer to Washington that John Hodge had made uh, a couple of years earlier. He said, look, why don't we both pull our forces out and just let the Koreans work it out amongst themselves? Ooh, okay. Uh, John Hodge's idea originally, good idea, said Stalin, like that idea, let's do it. Now, he probably felt like the North would prevail, so I don't think uh, he was being magnanimous here. Yeah. The Americans probably did the same math and declined his offer, so it went to the United Nations. Right. Um, On 14th of November... 1947, uh, a proposal made by the US was accepted by the UN General Assembly. There was to be a UN supervision of elections for a Korean government, followed by Korean independence and the withdrawal of all foreign forces. Sounds good. They created something called the UN Temporary Commission on Korea. Mm Mm-hmm that was going to manage all of this. It met in Seoul in January 1948 for the first time, but the North Koreans rejected it. They rejected the UN deciding the future of the country. Right. Well, they they reject anybody, any, any outsiders from making decisions for them. They just want their fucking country back. Sorry, go ahead. Yes, that was the North Korean view. Sorry. Uh, why do you get to decide yeah. on the future of our elections and the future of our country? Uh, just get out. That's, just get out. Yeah. yeah, just get out. Fuck out. Yeah, get out of my bathroom, Dad. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know why, what that means. Uh, I don't know, where, shit, don't know where that came from. Let's explore that, Cameron. Where, where did, what? Where, what uh, where did that come what, from? What age were you <laughs> the first time? <laughs> Four. <laughs> I am not turned on. I want that said. Please, please continue. For the record. For the record. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, the North Koreans rejected uh, and refused to participate in this. So Syngman Rhee decided to, he wanted to hold immediate elections to kind of force the issue. Mm. 
But the opposition parties in South Korea argue that any vote about the future of Korea as a whole that the North didn't participate in would be illegitimate. By the way, uh, so did the Australians and the Canadians who were members of the UN Temporary Commission on Korea. Right. So they were like, listen, if the North isn't participating, this whole thing is a farce. One of the people who refused to support this election was a guy called Kim Koo, mm-hmm. who was the last president of the provisional government that had been running out of China back before the end of World War II. Kim Ku and Kim Kyu-sik, who was another leader of the provisional government, I think he might have been the last foreign minister, both said they wanted to hold out for unification. There was no point going ahead with this until everybody was on board. We need to find a way to get everybody, all Koreans, North and South, to agree to the process. You can't ramrod... A process through here. Yeah. Did that turn you on, Ramrod? That get you excited? I heard you giggle. (laughs) Yeah. But the UN Commission decided, fuck it, we're going to go ahead with the vote anyway. Did you read... uh, William... Yeah, go ahead. Mm. Oh, oh, you have notes. Please. No, just a question. Did did you read Kim Kim Koo's um, uh, nickname? Uh, Yeah. Don't have it down here. Now, what was his nickname? So, yeah, so this guy gets arrested by the Japanese. He's tortured. He's beaten. He's like everybody else. He, all he cares about is Korean independence. So um, so he's been fighting the Japanese in China and Southeast Asia. And when he comes back to Korea by 1945, he is known as the assassin, the man who travels with gunmen and concubines. Tell me that's not the makings of a Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh, that would be bad. Oh, that's so fucking hot. <laughs> No, but you're right. He's against the trusteeship. It's more, more of a, yeah. it's more of a, more of a John Woo film, actually. Okay. okay. Yeah. But Kim Koo, as he's against the trusteeship, he's against the joint Soviet-American commission. And so, again, they're like, don't divide our country. Get the fuck out, and we got this. Now, he is against the communists. So when he does try to talk to Kim Il-sung in the north, that falls apart. So he heads to the south. But he's trying. Yeah. Now, uh, people, uh, these Koreans not happy about this being uh, forced down their throats. Mm -hmm. And so there's protests and all of that kind of stuff going on. And so uh, the new military governor of South Korea, William F. Dean, Mm -hmm decides to deputize citizen groups into what he called community protective organizations. Sounds wholesome. But which were actually referred to by the Americans as Rees Goon Squads. (laughs) They didn't get Barry and Stan to give them a name, did they? Mm. Well, no, I think that is the name. Rees Goon Squads. A better name. Jesus. Now, uh, interesting guy, um, Dean, mm-hmm. man. Um, he, uh, let's see, he was the commander of the military forces in South Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, John Hodge was still the commander of the military government. Right. Dean was the commander of the military forces. Um, he ends up commanding the 24th Infantry Division during the Korean War. Mm-hmm. 
and um, he gets captured. Fuck. And imprisoned. Right. And managed to keep his identity secret for a while. Ended up having no contact with the outside world for several years until he was interviewed by the famous Australian journalist Wilfred Burchett, who uh, we talked about in the Hiroshima um, Mm -hmm. episodes. It was Wilfred Burchett who was the first... international journalist to go to Hiroshima, I think, um, after the bombs had been dropped and explained what the reality of the situation was. Um, Right. So he he interviewed Dean and confirmed that he was actually alive and being held as a prisoner. I'm not a monk. Uh, What? No, just remember every time a a pope would get chased out of town, he would dress as a monk and disappear. Maybe uh, he told him he was a monk or something. I don't know. Right. Um, yeah, and then he he was released eventually uh, when there was an armistice signed in 1953. Damn. Um, but yeah, so there you go. That, well, anyway, we'll get into that later on. Right. Um, where is it up to? Dean, yes. So Dean creates Ree's goon squads. Right. Now, in the lead up to the elections, uh, 10,000 people were arrested for protesting. Sure. Nearly 600 people were killed. Fuck. And Kim Koo himself was assassinated yeah. by uh, Ahn Doo-hee, mm-hmm. who was a lieutenant in the South Korean army, burst in and shot him four times while he was sitting in his house reading poetry. Right. But Ahn himself is going to be killed later by one of Kim's followers, so doesn't really help Kim, but, you know, payback. But first... Ahn was arrested, mm-hmm. convicted and sentenced to life in prison. Then his sentence was commuted to 15 years by Syngman Rhee. Right. And then at the outset of the Korean War in 1950, he was released, oh, having served only one year and reinstated as a military officer. Oh. Served throughout the Korean War, became a colonel, was discharged in 1953. Um, after Syngman Rhee had to flee Korea uh, in 1960, Ahn went into hiding, lived under an assumed name. God damn. Uh, and in 1992, he confessed to Korean newspaper Donga Libo uh-huh. that the assassination of Kim Koo had been ordered by the re-administration. Fuck me. That's America's guy. And Go ahead. And then, yes, he himself was beaten to death in 1996 God. by Park Gisio, who was a follower of Kim Koo. He's beaten to death using a wooden club that had the words just a stick inscribed Jesus. on it. What is this, The Walking Dead? Oh, my God. He, he was 79 years old at the time. Jeez, that's pretty these Koreans. Now, yeah. not, not, not finished with this story yet. In 2001, mm-hmm. declassified documents revealed that Ahn had been working for U.S. counterintelligence. No. And so there is a suggestion that uh, the U.S. actually sent him to kill Kim Koo. <laughs> 
who oh. you'll recall uh, was uh, a fairly important political leader who was um, saying, no, 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 we should hold out for unification. Yeah. Um, he was assassinated. Well, he's the one. Possibly on the American on American orders. Right. He was he was the one in 1948 um, who ran against re uh in the election that the national assembly voted re and and to be president so yeah i mean this guy he was i mean he barely got any votes but the point is uh he was re's opponent and i guess re didn't like that or the americans didn't like that either way he pays the price in in uh, 1948 election in south korea re's party association for the rapid realization of independence it's a barry and stan special <laughs> Um, won 55 out of 200 seats. Other right-wing parties won 47 seats. Independent candidates won most of the rest. So between Re and the other right-wing parties, they had 102 uh, the majority. out of 200 seats. So they had the majority power. Barely. Kim Koo won eight seats. Mm-hmm. Um, as you said before, even though he wasn't standing for the election. Right. And didn't know about it. He refused to participate. Yeah. Still won eight seats. I'm not going to do this. Yeah, if it's not the whole country, what are we doing? Exactly. Yeah. So the, the right won the majority. And so Sigmund Rhee, guy who had lived in the United States for, I don't know, 32, 33 years. Mm-hmm had a cosy and somewhat dodgy relationship with the U.S. military, <laughs> hand-picked right. by the U.S. military, yes. miraculously became the first president of South Korea. <gasps> Shock. Gas. Hurra- hur- hooray for democracy <laughs> and freedom. Right. <laughs> the people's will be done, kind of. The things, yeah. if you just believe Ray. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah shut down opposition newspapers <laughs> and arrest and imprison and, protesters and yeah. and, and assassinate and your enemies. Bust up labor unions. Y- you can achieve yeah. anything. All yeah, you yeah. can do is believe and, and those other things. Right. And the, <laughs> <laughs> the details. The details. At his swearing-in ceremony, the U.S. flag was lowered over the Capitol building in Seoul and the new South Korean flag designed by Barry and Stan... <laughs> was erected, General MacArthur himself delivered a speech in which he told Koreans, an artificial barrier has divided your land. This barrier must and shall be torn down. Mm. Ronald Reagan stole his speech 40 years later because there's there's nothing that says freedom more than having... A general of a foreign army right. give a speech About. at the uh, swearing-in ceremony yeah. of your politicians. And, by the way, this barrier must be torn down. You put up the fucking barrier, <laughs> I dude. I was going to say, yeah, the American state. Who? Yeah. Yeah, you came up with the barrier, and now you're saying it must be torn down. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you put it up in the first place. It's your barrier. It was- it was needed at the time, and now it's not. So the country needs to come together under re and not, and let me make this clear, fucking communist government. Thank you for your time. Do you know what uh, the South Korean flag looks like, Ray, that Barry and Stan designed? Uh, it's a picture of re and Tarzan loincloth holding two naked women up on his shoulders, and he's got a full head of hair. No, what, what, what is it? 
it's it's got a white background. Mm-hmm. It's got a, a red and blue oh, yeah. Thai gyuk. Yeah. Okay. In the center. The uh, Thai gyuk is basically it's a yin yang symbol, right. basically. Cool. But it's red instead of being black and white, it's red and blue. Mm. Um, it's called the uh, Tai Chi in um, the the in Chinese, but this is the Thai Thai gyuk, I think, in Korean. Mm-hmm. And then around it, it's got four black trigrams. Hmm. Um, pointing inwards. Um, I have no idea what they mean. Right. Somebody listening Someone. to this can explain to me what the Tell us right now. trigrams mean. Yeah. I could, be, I could probably just look it up, but fucking then, you know, yeah. what are you going to do? Well, we've got to leave something for you. Right. Are you talking to me or the listeners? Well, you, <laughs> but yeah. Um. <clears throat> Now, in the following months after this election, according to Max Hastings, Rees' rule quickly turned into a ruthless dictatorship. Here's how Max Hastings puts it. Mm -hmm. Any minister who showed symptoms of independence was dismissed. Damn. The president took steps to bind the police and constabulary under his personal control. Each new manifestation of left-wing opposition provided provocation for a renewed surge of government Repression. Damn. Yeah, there was uh, there were several uprisings, as you can imagine, several mass killings. Uh, there's the uprising on Jeju Island, where uh, just over fourteen thousand people, supposedly on that island, uh, were killed. By 1950, Ri has about thirty thousand alleged communists in his jails, and another three hundred thousand suspected uh, sympathizers enrolled in an official re-education movement. So. I guess you just keep hitting them over the head with a stick until they say they're not communists anymore. I'm not sure how that went exactly. Now, during this period, there were frequent clashes along the 38th parallel, the border with North Korea. Mm. Blame for them is pretty evenly placed. Right. But even even Rhee's own army mutinied against him from time to time. The most serious... The most serious event happened in October of 1948. There was an army unit squash, uh, sent to squash some rebels in the southwest of South Korea. When they saw how the local police were oppressing the, the local population, they mutinied and helped the locals kill the police. Damn. So another army Damn. unit, South Korean army unit, was sent in to uh, bring them under control. War broke out. Thousand people died and the mutinous unit was destroyed. Jesus. In November 1948, more press restrictions were imposed by Syngman Rhee. Between September 1948 and April 1949, there were a total of 89,710 police arrests in South Korea for protesting. Right. Uh, 28,000 of those people were released without charge. The rest were held. Right. Um, So in June of 1949, the last American troops finally left the South, except for 500 who remained for, quote, unquote, training and assistance. Yeah, baby. Now, Ree tried to talk the U.S. into remaining. Yeah. Uh, he wanted them to stick around. The Russians had already pulled out a long time ago. The year before, yeah. In, in the north. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, but the US, but but Re wanted the US to stick around. The US, however, wanted to get the fuck out, and they said, "Look, the Russians are gone. The North is no longer a threat. It's all good yeah. in the hood." <laughs> Don't be a douche. See you later. Re said, "Can you leave me some soldiers? No. no. Can you <laughs> leave me some heavy artillery? No. Can you give me guns? Uh, no. Bombs? Tanks, no. Planes?" Jeeps, yeah. no, no, and no. Fuck off. Basically, we don't trust you. Yeah. You don't get shit. You're a crazy motherfucker. But you're our guy. We, we're getting out of here. <laughs> we don't want to get involved in this shit, right. basically. And, they, and the Americans were pleasantly surprised that the Soviets, as they had at the beginning of all of this, kept their word and left North Korea. So things are looking pretty good for the Americans. Now, meanwhile, in the North, there had been elections in November 1946, 18 months before the elections in the South, Mm -hmm. but it was a Soviet-style election. Right. So there was a central government, the People's Provisional Committee, or the Provisional People's Committee, or the um, People's Republic of Judea, Judea, one of those. Um, (laughs) Surprisingly, Kim Il-sung's party, the Democratic Front... Won ninety seven percent of the votes. You know what that is? That's discipline. That's party discipline. Good for them for being so loyal. It's freedom, That's right? Free- freedom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Oh. The thing that the thing that my soundboard teaches me about you, Ray, is you basically do the same things over and over yeah, again. I have, You've got I have a stable of sounds and noise and words that I use, and that's all I need. I built a career out of this, so and a stable of young, young men. men to come behind you. Yeah. <laughs> well, you are technically younger than I am, so when I go home, it comes out. <laughs> you just watch your mouth. Show some respect. <laughs> anyway. All right, we've got, to fi- we've got to finish this thing up. We're getting, getting long in the tooth here. Um, and so just after the elections in the South, the uh, Democratic People's Republic of Korea was proclaimed on the 9th of September 1948. Now, in April 1949, Pyongyang invited the anti-re leaders <laughs> in the South uh-huh to attend a coalition conference, the ones that weren't in prison right. were dead. <laughs> they said, uh, come, 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 come meet with us. Let's plan the unification yeah. of the country together. That's crazy. So there were 545 delegates at this first coalition mm-hmm. conference. 240 were from the South. Re, of course, denounced them, called them communist stooges. Right. Uh, and then in August of 1949, the Supreme People's Assembly, a new communist organization, met in Haiju, which is a town just north of the 38th parallel. And at this, a People's Democratic Republic was announced that was going to embrace both North and South Korea. Ooh. And a South Korean was nominated as its foreign minister. That sounds like progress. So, yeah. Well, you can see that the North are still pushing ahead to create the grassroots framework for the unification. 
And and we don't need the United Nations to do it. We can do this ourselves. We are growing up people. We ran our own country for a thousand years. Right. We don't fucking need anyone to tell us how to unify our country. We can do it. But I just have to ask real quick. So obviously the sticking point here is Re, who was not letting this go on. The border clashes are still going on. Do you think that Re is fulfilling the will of the Americans by holding out and not having the country unite, let's be honest, under the communists? Do the Americans care or are they like, yeah, that's our guy. He's doing what we want. No. Well, we know by this stage the Americans have got um, George Kennan's uh, views mm-hmm. on, on Soviet expansion. They've got a containment policy in place. They have concerns about dominoes and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, look, the Americans definitely don't want this part of Asia to go communist. We talked about, around about this time, I mean, it didn't happen until the end of 1949, but Mao is looking good. Um, right. as as the winner of the Chinese Civil ah, War. So, gotcha. And again, got to remind people that this is all about economic blocks. Any country that became communist was going to end up likely in the Soviet trading block, which meant its markets were going to be uh, out of bounds yeah. to the American trading block. You're not going to be able to sell your shit to them, and America desperately wanted to sell their shit to everyone. That was the whole point of the open door policy in the early 20th century Mm -hmm. and you're not going to be able to get access to their natural resources or their labor resources and all that kind of stuff um so yeah these clashes are still happening on the 38th parallel responsibility is on both sides and in may 1949 one of the most um Serious incidents happened. South Korean forces penetrated two and a half miles into North Korean territory and attacked local villages. The tension starts building to this kind of point. You know, the British War Office uh, turns to its foreign office and says, look, we we think something's going to break out. Can you give us an assessment? And uh, the the British, they, they take a look at it from what information they have. And they say, like, we think that the North Korean forces are going to be able to go in, go in there, kick the shit out of the South, and take the entire peninsula. Um, hopefully it doesn't come to that, but it probably will. As far as the Americans, they probably don't agree with that because they're the ones that train the, the uh, South Koreans. They think they could probably do a pretty good job. But to be honest with you, and the, and the British were saying this to themselves, if the Americans have a policy, fuck me, I have no idea what it is. But here's the thing you need. Uh, everyone needs to remember because you just alluded to this a second ago in 1949 when Mao takes China after all of the money hundreds of millions of dollars actually billions of dollars that we poured into making sure Chiang Kai-shek won the American attitude on the street and in the government was never again we cannot lose to the communists again. Communists have to be watched, they have to be checked, and they have to be continually suppressed. Never again. And that's kind of the mentality that's that's pushing the Congress and also Truman because the American people feel like they've been let down. The learning should have been never again shall we <laughs> waste money and lose a war against the communists. Oh. Okay, maybe we'll do it again in Korea and then in Vietnam but after and then that, in Cuba. But after and then, and then, oh, okay. After that, gonna, yeah. <laughs> No, but that have the Americans have Americans ever won a war against communists? Right, this is a question I want to ask. 
Has there been one instance where America has won a war against communists? We we tied in Korea. Even the space race. Russians won that. They, they got to space first, but supposedly, if you believe the whatever, we got to the moon first. Um, no, Castro definitely beat us because he stayed in power for 50 or 60 years. Um, we've had a couple ties. I think in, in Latin America and places like that, uh, yeah. you're able to overthrow various right. administrations yeah. from time to time. You I know. don't even remember what Grenada was about. In the 80s with Reagan, the island of Grenada, when we... I, fuck, I don't even remember. Was that communist-related? We will get to it oh, in the show. Then never mind. All right. Yeah. No, but, but seriously, the Americans are there looking at China and going, never again. This is important to them. Okay. Let's let's go. We're super running fast, out of time. Fast. We're over time. Go, go, go. Super fast. We're talking really quickly about this. Yeah. In January 1950, Dean Acheson, who was then Truman's Secretary of State, he got rid of Jimmy Burns, gave a public speech in which he excluded South Korea from America's defense perimeter. Oh, fuck. Here are all the places that we care about. <laughs> in Asia. And we don't mention I want Korea. all the... Yeah. All the representatives of the countries that we care about take one step forward. <laughs> ah, so not so fast, far, South Korea. <laughs> <laughs> now, some historians, including Bruce Cummings, right. the former chair of the history department at the University of Chicago, has suggested that this was a deliberate omission mm. by Atchison to prompt the North's invasion of the South. Basically giving them a green light. It was a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Oh, I have a heart. And that's certainly yeah. how Stalin took it. Yes. Oh, you don't care. Up until this point, as we know, Kim and Steikov had been saying to Stalin, come on, yeah, let us it. invade. Come on. He was like, nyet. And the vet, he, he heard this speech and he went, okay. Yeah. Well, his, his takeaway was like, all right, this is a signal Right. From the Americans that they really don't care. Right. They're not going to defend it. They're not going to support it. So let's go and let's go and take it, right? Then we don't have to worry about the South attacking us anymore. You know, right. we, then we can bed the whole thing down and it's all good. Still. But this whole idea that the Americans were deliberately signaling a green light is a controversial position. A lot of, a lot of American historians don't agree with Cummings on this. Mm-hmm. But it, it, you know, on the surface of it, you go, why else would Asherson not include South Korea? Now, the idea, though, is that why would the Americans want the North to invade the South? Mm-hmm. Well, it would help them sell NSC 68. Right. NSC 68, which had been written around about this time, was a bold new American idea Mm -hmm. that they were struggling to get Truman to sign off on. National Security Council 68, a policy paper. Right. Now, it was a 58-page top-secret policy paper by the United States National Security Council, mostly written by Paul Neitz, Mm -hmm. who was a Wall Street investment banker who worked for FDR during World War II. And it was basically about justifying a massive US military buildup in peacetime. Moving from containment 
of the Soviets to roll back. Damn. And what was the timing of this predicated on, Ray? I don't know. Are we talking about the Soviets having the bomb or? Yes. Okay. In, in um, April 1950, it, uh, NSC 68 was presented to Truman and it was timed because Stalin now had the bomb. Mm. About five years earlier than they expected him to have the bomb. Oh, shit. He now had the bomb. We got the bomb. You know we got the bomb. Said we got the bomb. But we're going to bomb the bomb. <laughs> uh, what? But here's the thing. So, so they come out with NSC-68 and they're saying that basically the, the Soviets want to take over everything, replace everything with something that listens to the Kremlin. I get that, whatever. But George Kennan and Chip Boland themselves, who another Soviet expert, they're saying, you know, no, no, that's going way too far. That's inaccurate. You're, you're, you're interpreting too much from, from Soviet actions or inactions. And so you've got one part of, I guess, the State Department saying we need to ramp it up. And then you got two others going, no, 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 no. But I guess when this attack comes in 1950, George Kennan's not going to be listened to in the sense that he was saying, let's not go too far because now it's an, it's actually a shooting war. But, you know, the, the, it's a big deal here. So America had only ramped up its military spending in times of war. Yeah. We know going into World War II, they weren't ready. No. It took them a long time to build up. Um, now what they're suggesting, what they're trying to get Truman and Congress and eventually the American public to buy into is this idea that the Truman Doctrine of supporting U.S. interests when they are attacked wasn't strong enough. Right. U.S. now needed to be in a state of permanent war readiness. They needed to be on the front foot. Yeah. They wanted to triple defense spending from 40 or 50 billion dollars a year sorry wanted to triple it to 40 or 50 billion dollars a year from the original 13 billion set for 1950 right they basically wanted the united states to wage the cold war on every front fight communism by every means not only political and economic but also Military. Be ready to go. So the yeah. the Marshall Plan was fighting it both economically and politically uh, because they would only allow Marshall Plan funding to go to countries that shut down their leftist political organisations. Mm -hmm. Now they were also they wanted the funding to be able to fight it militarily. Yeah. Unfortunately. NSC-68 seemed to be going nowhere. It was a difficult sell. No one thought yeah. they would be able to get that through. A lot of money. People aren't going to go for right. it. Congress isn't going to go for it until North Korea invaded South Korea. Then Dean Acheson himself later said, Korea created the stimulus which made action. That's still, for me, as an American, a hell of a reach to say that he left out South Korea in his speech to give the green light to Stalin, that's still... I mean, it's plausible, why, but it's a heck of a Why reach. else would he leave it out? Just simply forgot? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, he, that's that makes more sense to you. The Secretary of State oh, come on. forgot People, to mention South Korea. I'm sorry. I, I, it, it's plausible, but that's... that's he forgot. Thin, that's, a, that's a stretch. 
That's a stretch. Mm, I would think that would be the opposite of that. <laughs> he forgot. No, but literally, by remember. not mentioning one country in a speech, Stalin is supposed to hear that, infer from that, take action, and allow a war. It's just, that's a lot to, that's a big ask to accept that. I don't know what to believe. I'm, yeah, I'm done. I just accept it. I'm not outraged. I like that. I'm sorry, bear with me. Let me look here. A little, a little more to the left now. In the Are you um, yeah. <laughs> well, no, but look, you know, we know that <clears throat> they watched and listened to each other's speeches. That's true. We know that this is the way that diplomacy was carried on to a certain degree. Like, we, we, we can't tell you go ahead and invade... But we're not going to, you know, but we're going to hint at it. Basically the same thing that the Americans did under Reagan with Saddam in the uh, Gulf War One, Right. Kind of Bush one. It was like, yeah, listen, if you invaded Kuwait to protect your oil, that's just a reasonable thing to yeah. do. Yeah. Uh, you got to protect your interests. Um, I mean, look, I think, I mean, I don't know that they deliberately did this, but I think thinking that they wouldn't do something like this, they wouldn't deliberately suggest it was okay to invade a country because that would play into the hands of the American planners is naive. Mm -hmm. No, I think it's really naive to think that messages aren't delivered that way, and and or that America wouldn't deliberately uh, engineer events like that for their uh, own purposes. Um, but that's not to say that that's what happened in this instance. But right, I think it can and does and has. I I think it might be better for me to say I I don't want it to be true. But what the fuck does that matter? So yeah, you know anything's possible because we've seen some crazy shit before. So who knows. Well, either way, um, Stalin apparently took it as that signal. Whether or not it was intended as a signal, Stalin certainly took it as a signal. Mm -hmm. Now, when the South held new elections in May of 1950, Rhee was so unpopular that the combination of his and the other right parties, who had won 102 seats two years earlier, now only won 49 combined. (laughs) Jesus. This is America's America's hand-picked guy. <laughs> yeah. The independents won 130 seats and other parties won 44. Here's what Max Hastings has to say. With the advantage of hindsight, it is evident that United States policy in post-war Korea was clumsy and ill-conceived. It reflected not only a lack of understanding but a lack of interest in the country and its people beyond their potential as bricks in the wall against communist aggression. Mm. This failure, it may be suggested, lay close to the heart of the United States' difficulties, not only with Korea, but also with China and subsequently with Vietnam. The occupier's enthusiasm for the reproduction of American political and bureaucratic institutions in Asia held little charm for Koreans with different attitudes and priorities. (laughs) According to John Gaddis, American uh, author on the Cold War, 
One of the reasons the Americans withdrew their troops from South Korea, indeed, was their fear that the unpredictable Re might march north and thus drag them into a war uh, they did not want. Because yeah. some in the State Department knew that this guy was bad news, but Hodge and MacArthur forced him in, so now he's there and now he's our boy. Now, just one week before the North's invasion on June 25th, 1950, John Foster Dulles... Mm-hmm visited Seoul and the 38th Parallel. Now, we haven't talked much about old JFD, uh, but we will. He's like one of the key architects of the Cold War. Lawyer, Republican, former senator at this stage, helped write the UN Charter. Uh, In 1950, he was a roving ambassador and odds-on Republican favourite for the next Secretary of State when they uh, defeated Truman in the next elections. Was their idea? He was um, the vocal critic of Truman's containment strategy. He wanted all-out liberation. Now, he had meetings in Seoul with Syngman Rhee, in which, according to an American reporter who was there at the time, Rhee advocated an attack on the North. This American reporter wrote that uh, Dulles's meeting with Rhee, Rhee was in it. Rhee was militantly for the unification of Korea. Mm -hmm. Openly says it must be brought about soon. Rhee pleads justice of going into North Country, thinks it could succeed in a few days. If he can do it with our help, he will do it. The journalist noted that Rhee said he would attack the North even if it brought on a general war. (laughs) So, important to know that Not only had the South been making incursions already over the 38th parallel, uh, Rhee was telling the Americans he wanted a war, he wanted to invade, and he wanted uh, American support to do it. Jeez. After the Korean War, George Kennan commented that when Dulles went there uh, and was standing at the 38th parallel staring into the North through binoculars... He probably gave the North the idea oh, shit. that Ree was Ree was getting ready to invade with American support. Oh God! So they obviously they knew who John Foster Dulles was. Yeah. Uh, they knew what his views were. They knew what Ree's views were. And here you have Americans, you know, standing at the boundary, <laughs> staring into your your house. So we're going to attack there, right? We're going to attack over there on that hill. Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, Jeez. think about you've got neighbours in the house next to you and they have, you know, <laughs> the world's major atomic power uh, moved into their house five years earlier. Right. They keep talking about they want to invade you. Uh, they keep, you know, jumping over your fence and, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> kicking your dog and smashing up your pop plants and then jumping back. And then one day you look through your window <gasps> And you see them all standing there with binoculars looking through your window while they're cocking guns. Jesus. They're, they're, they're. Huh. What's they're going on over there? Ratcheting their shotguns. Yeah. And they're, 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 <laughs> they're strapping ammo belts on and, they, and hanging grenades on their belts. And at the very end, they turn their baseball cap backwards. That's when you yeah. know it's real. And they're, they're painting camo with their fingers across their face. And there's montage music being played in the background. Team America, fuck yeah. 
<laughs> it's not a huge leap <laughs> to think, oh, maybe they're getting ready. I think something's going to happen. Anyway, that was George Kennan's view, not my view, George Kennan's right. view. Now, that said, we know from Soviet documents that have been released since that Pyongyang had made a decision to escalate the conflict well before this. In April 1950, after Dean Acheson's speech Mm -hmm. that didn't include South Korea, Stalin gave Kim permission to invade the South under the condition that Mao, who had just won the Civil War in China, would agree to send reinforcements if needed. He said, I'm not sending forces. No Soviet forces are going to be involved. Mm -hmm. Directly. Soviet forces will not openly engage in combat. We don't want a war with the US. So if if you need support, you've got to get it from Mao. Right. So Kim met with Mao in May 1950. Mao was concerned that the US would intervene, Mm -hmm. but agreed to support the North Koreans anyway because China desperately needed the economic and military aid that the Soviets said they would provide China if China supported North Korea. And Communist China was concerned about what the Americans were going to do now that they had won the war. So this was maybe an opportunity uh, to keep the Americans distracted in Korea. So Mao was looking out for himself by helping Kim. Now, the fighting began at the Onjin Peninsula, which is sort of the westernmost area of the 38th parallel. It began around 3 or 4 a.m. on June 25th. Now, initial intelligence reports were inconclusive as to who started it. The North claimed the South started it by attacking Heiju City, which was north of the 38th parallel. But according to Bruce Cummings the uh, former chair at University of Chicago, who is kind of a revisionist historian and is sceptical of the American propaganda, he says it's still inconclusive. Right. That existing evidence points both ways as to who started it. But however it broke out, the North immediately launched a full invasion. And within two days had taken Seoul. Yeah. Now, Seoul's not that far south of the 38th parallel. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, you know, all things considered, probably not where you want your capital to be. Uh, you know, when the 38th parallel is right next door to your capital city. Time to move. Uh, Call the movers. Uh, yeah. 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 You know, I. <laughs> I'm baffled. I'm really baffled. Uh, <laughs> I would have gone, you know. Just, just you know, I, well, and again. Mm-hmm. I would have just said, let's move our capital temporarily. Yeah, yeah. provisionally. Down as far fucking away from the border as we can. Beach. That would have been my thing. I don't know. Call me, call me crazy. <laughs> call me stupid. I would have moved it yeah. all the way down. Yeah. To the bottom of the Good country, call. down to John Nam, somewhere down there. Anyway, but no, no, they left it like 10 minutes walk from the border. Right. So within two days, the North had captured Seoul. South Korean units in Seoul mutinied or fled before the Northern troops got there um, for a whole bunch of reasons, including the Americans didn't give them any guns yeah. uh, or any training. Um, their officers who had served Japan, 
you know, uh, weren't very popular, right. so the Korean units mutinied. And, of course, the unpopularity of the Ree government, which had just been voted out a month earlier. So they're blaming Ree for this. You know, if you just fucking waited until we could have had a vote for unification... Yeah. But no! That could have happened. Yeah. But no! <laughs> <laughs> no! You dick! No! Yeah. This is the war you wanted, and now we've got it. Um, Ree hurriedly got the fuck out of the city by train. Yeah, Seoul fell to a northern invasion force of about 37,000 troops, and by the month's end, fully half of the South's soldiers were dead, captured, or missing. Right. So they weren't kidding when they said Blitzkrieg, right. baby. However... So that was yeah. it. It was all over. The Korean War was over in about a month. The North Koreans won. The South Koreans lost. And that's the end of our series on the Korean War. Thank you very much for listening. Um, except for it, drive safe. Except for it set off a huge series of uh, chain of events in Washington and with MacArthur. And yeah, so never again. The Americans are going to respond. I've learned my lesson. You just need to get the last word in, don't you? I did this big conclusion thing there, and you just had to get the last word in. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I edit these shows, right? That's just coming right the Damn. (laughs) No. All right. I'll just edit You know, you send it to me before it goes online. I can just edit them back in. I'm keeping that. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. 